Welcome to Vision Driven with Resin Architecture, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of architecture, development, and construction. I'm your host, Greg Croft, and my co-host is Jamie Moulton, and we are thrilled to have you join us on this journey of learning, inspiration, and insight. When you talk about real estate, I would always recommend that you go into it with the exit in mind. Advice I'd give somebody that's presenting their case or pitching their, their loan to a bank. It's just to be really well prepared. Whether you're dreaming of building a space for your business or are simply curious about the fascinating world of architecture and development, join us on this exciting adventure as we unlock the secrets to successful projects and empower you to turn your vision into reality. get started here. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, so this is Brennan Baker with uh, Headwaters Construction, and uh, he's uh, his specialty is actually in the pre-construction world. Uh, that's all he does, as far as I know, all day long, um, probably more than 40 hours a week. Um, just a little, do you want to give a brief overview of Headwaters? Uh, just Yeah. So Headwaters Construction is a, is a, uh, general contractor, commercial general contractor from Eastern Idaho, been in business going on, I think 21 years. Um, and we specialize in all sorts of commercial projects, um, industrial, medical, multifamily, um, office, those kind of things. Um, but we've really put a big focus on the kind of differentiating ourselves through pre-construction services. So we actually years back even changed the name of you know, all the people we, we called estimators at one time, we've kind of changed their titling even to pre-construction manager to more accurately represent the kind of work that they do and the services they provide. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, give me a little bit of your background in the industry. What yeah. brought you to it? What do you love about it? Honestly, I, I got uh, close to college and I just had no idea what I wanted to study, but I, I had done construction I wouldn't say my whole life. My grandpa had a general contracting uh, firm and a lot of my uncles and cousins, we all kind of worked at the company. And uh, I knew I really liked it. And there was some point when I started to kind of show some aptitude toward construction. So when I got into college, initially I thought it was dental school or something. And then that got a little overwhelming. So I went into, I, I met with some advisors and got into, into uh, construction management and kind of the rest is history. But you know, all through school, um, I, I grew up with kind of small commercial and residential experience. And so all through school, I did internships trying to um, really gain some more large commercial experience. And so I did that all through college and eventually um, kind of fell into the pre-construction side of, of the business. So, And, and what exactly does a pre-construction manager do? Like well, if you were to describe your role. I mean, at its most, maybe at the, at the most core element, I mean, uh, you know, the services that I'm focused on providing is, is one cost information. I mean, uh, you know, years ago, it probably would have been a little bit more of a narrow role, but with a lot of the, you know, changes in the way that we procure work in the industry today, that, that role includes not only budgeting and cost estimating, but it also includes, um, you know, meeting very early with the client and talking about constructability and scheduling and helping with design review with the architectural team and working as a, a partner with the architectural team to uh, try to make sure that the design 
uh, not only looks good, but is as is buildable and as efficient as possible. So we provide services for kind of all aspects of everything happening during design and then bringing that cost component in as well. Yeah. So one of the things that I know that like I've used you guys for is just like, hey, just ballpark, like where does where does a certain type of, you know, I'll, I'll do like a short explanation of something and say, hey, this is a medical office building. It's about this many square feet. This is the, the types of things that are in there. And then ballpark, what do you think that's going to cost? And then we try to use that to say, okay, you know, help our, our clients before they become your clients. And sometimes, you know, they are the same at the same time. Yeah. Um, there's more value there, but, you know, at least an initial value that we've seen is, hey, like we need to right size this. We need to cut down just a little bit before we we get too far, uh, before we get into too much detail because, and those numbers are changing all the time. And especially the last few years have probably been a roller coaster for you guys. It's been hard for everyone in the industry, actually. Yeah, so that, and that's a good point. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, an early conceptual look at a project and we, you know, we, we approach projects different depending on what stage we're in at the most conceptual level. If it's just a kind of a napkin sketch and some facts and figures about the size and use of the building, um, we usually will approach it at a much simpler level, looking at historical data and similar projects. And, and we track all of our historical data pretty well, so we can do that. And then as we progress with design, obviously you get more information through the design process and then you need to couple that with updated numbers to make sure that we're still tracking in the direction we expected to. So there's usually multiple updates of the budget as we get more detail and more information. Yeah. And I know uh, one project that I worked with you on was just a, I mean, it was a simple townhome sort of design. And, and one of the things that you guys were helping us with was uh, just honing in on materials where it's like, hey, if you use this material as like an exterior finish or this kind of use these trims, there's a cost associated with that. And, you know, we can probably get this a very similar look, but using a different material. And you guys have the experience to be able to say, well, if, if you do this material you'll, versus this material, you might have, you know, maybe there's a maintenance component here. Or maybe there's not, and it's like, well, let me spend an extra, you know, buck a square foot on just the material, which you know overall might might be really insignificant. It might be a thousand bucks if that's how much material there is, but it's going to result in uh, not having all of that maintenance uh, that that would have you know been over a thousand bucks a year every few years or something like that. So. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, that is kind of part of it is, I mean, whether it's material selections, um, I mean, a lot of times, you know, cost information is very difficult to acquire. You know, you can't Google how much a certain um, exterior metal panel cost. I mean, you could find a supplier that might tell you how much they charge and then they would sell that to some sort of a wholesaler or maybe a a, a subcontractor, but then they've got to have all their equipment costs, their installation, all these things. So by the time you get to a real number, oftentimes it's not what you expected based on your Google search. And so that's one thing that we try to be savvy on is be up to date with um, a lot of different material types and not just what their cost to purchase the materials, but the installed prices and 
And uh, yeah, because it really makes a big difference on your, you know, wear and tear on the building, how and what what kind of maintenance cost is this going to have for me and how much more does that mean up front? And, and there might even just be three or four solutions that are similar, but could be less in cost. And so, yeah, it's, a, that's actually one of the things that um, is, is pretty key in, in the process. And especially in early design is trying to flag maybe some of those finishes that don't fit within the budget or maybe meet the owner's intent, whether that's um, long-term durability, if they want the building for 70, 80 years to last, we need to be thinking that direction and, and, and but still be cost conscious. So. Uh, when do you feel like the right time for an owner to talk to somebody like you is? Well, as, as early as you can is good. Uh, sometimes if you get far enough down a road and then you kind of feel like, man, we really need some input from somebody um, in the, that's, that's in the field. It, it's not that it, it's a value at any point, I think. Uh, but I think you can really um, harness the benefits of it if you start really early on. And, and I would say if I peel back, you know, kind of take off my, my uh, general contractor goggles and I say, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of maybe someone who's a newer developer or a newer, um, a newer owner of, the, of a certain type of project, it, it actually probably is a little bit scary to, to make a commitment like that early on. Um, and I tell you that it is really important to probably meet with, if you have a few people in mind, meet with all of them and talk about what they do and how they contract with you. Uh, because you got to be able to trust the people that you're working with. If they're offering you pre-construction services and hopefully they even build it for you once you're, you know, to a certain milestone in your project. If you can't trust them that they're being a fiduciary for you and a steward for your project, then that makes the whole thing, you're always second guessing whether you're going on the right path. And so I would say, you know, getting to know those, you know, who your options are and who you feel strongly about working with. But trust is pretty important in the process because uh, it really is a different approach. You, you really have a lot of trust between the architect and the contractor and the owner and any other consultants involved that, that they have your best interest in mind as a as an owner. So Yeah, I, I mean, that's been... I would, I share very similar sentiments in terms of like, if that trust isn't there, then like a lot of times we'll do, we'll do, uh, what's called concept type work, uh, to maybe take something through schematic design and then, um, and we'll do that all at an hourly basis because we're like, if we don't know the owner, this is a good way for us to get to know them and them to get to know us. And if, you know, a lot of times it's like, hey, here's a great stopping point if you want to go somewhere else or if if we want you to go somewhere else, then then this is a good good spot to stop. And and uh, and in a similar way, I feel like pre-construction, you, you know, you never want somebody to move on. But it's like, hey, if this isn't going to work, you know, if you figure out the, those dynamics, that trust isn't really there, then, you know, we're you and I steward a lot of finance for a client, whether that's going to be successful or not. And, uh, so we want to, we always want to try to make sure everybody's taken care of. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think at the end of the day, like we, we kind of have a similar arrangement. Most of the time, um, we, we don't actually charge for our services on the um, pre-construction front. Uh -huh. We'll usually, you know, I've got several projects even right now that have been, I've been working on pre-construction services for well over a year. Um, and we're just getting 
to where we're starting construction now. And normally we'll have a certain fee that's agreed upon up front that we would charge for the upfront services. But we also leave the option that if for whatever reason um, the project is over the owner's budget and every our best attempts have been made to try to design and consult to get them to where their budget is. And if they're just not feeling good about the numbers, uh, they could at that point say, we're, we're going to stop right now. And we would at that point ask, we would collect our you know fee for the services we provide. But normally when we're done with the pre-construction process, um, at the time we roll into construction, we would just roll our fees over into the overall construction estimate. And so that they can kind of, they kind of punt those costs down into their projects. So they get a, you know, in some cases, a year's worth of services. Um, and, and it's really, it's a pretty good bang for your buck, especially when it's rolled into your overall construction project. And, and it actually doesn't even cover our real cost to do it. It's almost like a token kind of, it's mostly to protect us a little bit. If we get down the certain road and we spend a lot of time, there's at least some, um, compensation for the effort, but normally if it, if it does roll into construction, it's a pretty good bargain for the client because they really save a lot of money in the end and get a product that they really, yeah, I hopefully is exactly what they wanted, you know? Um, so we, we mentioned this a little bit, but in terms of, uh, today's, um, I guess volatility in the market, how, how do you guys handle that? Um, how do you stay on top of that? It, we, we, we do quite a few different things. I would tell you that anybody who tells you that they just have it figured out is probably not giving you a full story because there's a significant amount of uncertainty that we experienced over the last few years. It is getting much better. There was a time um, when you could budget something and be within one or 2% and just it was just consistent because you had really good, reliable historical data and cost information. And that got really hard during the last few years. One, some things that we did do is one, we would constantly try to be talking to subcontractors to get updates and kind of regular information of where the market was going. And sometimes those are a little delayed because it takes a minute for those to, to actually, you know, actually hit, you know, if, right. if that the makes sense. The subcontractor didn't go out and buy a bunch of lumber yesterday. It's been a month. Exactly. And all or, of a sudden it's like, oh, last time I bought it, it was this, but. Exactly. They bought it last week, but ours is for a project that starts in four months. And so sometimes you just don't know. So what we would try to do is um, we would try to carry some escalation contingency and we would be open book, of course, with the client to say, so it was kind of a shared, uh, I guess, guess in some way of saying, here's where we think the market's going in this trade. Uh, I think we're comfortable with the cost here, but we may want to have a hedge a little bit for the future for these two trades where we're seeing some increases. And this is how much we want to earmark for that. And we would do that. Um, and I would say even with our best efforts, there were still some challenges. I mean, we, we've, you know, and I, we've appreciated our, our clients that have, um, you know, been understanding with how, how the market's been. But uh, I think if you, if you do it the right way, you can mitigate a lot of the, a lot of the challenges. Yeah. It, and I, th I read a report recently that uh, they're expecting, and who knows what that really, you know, but they're expecting at least material to stay about the same for the rest of this year. But where do you see labor going, labor costs? I don't think it's going to change stay, a whole lot. That's, that's my prediction. I'm not a guru with labor yeah. costs. But, I mean, it, 
it seems to make sense. Uh, we we have had a little bit of a slowing in the market across the board. That's in residential and commercial. Now that there are some sectors that are still full steam ahead, and there's a lot of projects that have been backlogged that are still under construction. But my prediction, there's going to be uh, a fair amount of of projects that are you know finishing up, and not as many at not at the same rate of projects starting up. And I do think that there will be some laborers that might have to be that might have to look for work a little more than they had before. There was a time when you couldn't hang on to your laborers because there was always someone willing to pay a little bit more somewhere else. And I think that's simmered down a lot. Um, and material costs have, have definitely um, become more predictable uh, back to probably what I would say are normal rates of increase. Um, and so, yeah, things have steadied. In fact, I'd say over the last six to eight weeks, um, we've seen um, a lot more predictability with numbers and, and no more are we chasing this kind of exponential climb. We've really just become more predictable and in fact seen some decreases in overall cost for projects in the last little bit. So I feel like we're maybe through the thick of <laughs> the challenges we were all facing. So, Do you have any uh, good examples of times where you've been like, hey, we, we saved the client you know, some real money here based on some of the recommendations or some of the techniques that you guys use? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of one that we're just about to start construction on. Um, it was a project in Utah. The budget uh, initially was, I, I want to say, high 30 million range, like 38, 39 million. And we told them based on their, just at a conceptual level, we knew where the numbers were. And we told them, there's just no way you're going to hit your budget. And they didn't like that news really, but they said, okay, what do we need to do? And so we started with some big things. We took a level off their parking garage and expanded the footprint. We looked at some materiality on their exteriors and did a significant reduction of some types of materials, but an increase and, and replaced it with less expensive materials. Um, we looked at everything from their building structure. Uh, how are they doing their floor systems versus how are they doing their, um, stair and elevator cores, uh, a lot of different things we looked at early on. And I think we've been, I've probably got 15 budget updates on this project where we've, we've made an approach early on and set a goal of a certain amount of money to, to save. And then we'd update the design and tweak it again and just kept tweaking it. And the good news is, um, we, we just, uh, finished up getting all the numbers in and, we felt really good to know that all of our recommendations were were correct, and and we've we've we're now tracking several hundred thousand dollars below the budget, and uh, it's sorry, a great so feeling from thirty eight million down to so so it actually okay to share. yeah no that's fine it, it's their budget their anticipated budget early on was like I said high thirties, we started with them though we told them you're probably going to be high forties with your design. So then we, uh, after conceptual design adjustments, I think we got into the, the low $40 million range, $43 million. And then just over the course of, of, of DDs and CD level documents, we've now adjusted these down and we landed on a budget of 39 million, I think 900,000 before, right before we went out to bid to all of our subcontractors. And I was crossing my fingers uh, that we were gonna hit where we needed to. And, and like I said, we came in several hundred thousand below that. So yeah, I mean, that's just one example. It happens all the time though. I mean, it's amazing if you know what the client, uh, what they want, and if you know what they're willing to pay and what they can afford to do, 
if you work well, if you have a good architecture team and a, and a good uh, pre-construction services from the general contractor, you can really get them what they want and usually you can get a job off the ground. Um, we have some clients with unrealistic expectations probably that just aren't anywhere where the market's at and you can't do a lot for that. But generally speaking, if, if they're within a, a reasonable realm, you know, we can really create a win-win. So. What's a, a common mistake that you've seen in the, so like a, a new, uh, an owner that hasn't ever built before, what's a common mistake that you've seen them do as they've approached a project and what, what would you recommend to mitigate that? Uh, this isn't so much of a, um, a plug for, for me as it is for maybe you, but I think one of the biggest mistakes we see or maybe a, a short-sighted move we see is someone who may be an inexperienced developer or builder who maybe hasn't done a lot of it undervalues good design and good collaboration up front like what i think a lot of times you know you might get for example uh no architect involved and they're kind of hoping that they can just kind of put together a concept um, with some help from a friend who does some design work or something and then work with a general contractor. And a lot of times um, there's just too many uh, code implications and design kind of errors that kind of trail into that, that my first thought is just really get a good architect on your projects and take some time to not just get bids from a few architects, but actually look at what they're providing you. Just because someone's number might be $20,000 more for architecture. Um, it just takes one issue in the field of something that wasn't considered or wasn't thought about or, or well-planned. And you'll, 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 you'll lose that money or make up that money depending on what okay, you do. Now you've really got to easily. rip out a wall and retile yeah. and move some plumbing exactly. because exactly something wasn't right and, and that that's from like a ada standpoint which is i feel like the biggest consideration but i've heard of things like this even up in like high-end custom homes in jackson where it's like i didn't think it was going to look like that and they're like yeah remove it and do it again and it's like yeah what would that have cost just to do it right the first time if you just had some visualization software or something like yeah that. Yeah, so it comes down. I think um, there's a lot of a lot of ground that a good architect will cover. That really, with some good collaboration, I mean, I can just think of countless examples of times where something was just completely overlooked or not coordinated. That it it costs it can cost a lot in the field. You know, we try to catch as much of that. That's one of the services that you get when you involve someone that doing doing pre construction services. Is we try to vet you know, the design. And if we see deficiencies, we'll call them out. But, um, at some point there's only so far we can go. We're not architects, but, but, you know, really don't undervalue architecture. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a recent project, you know, in the not too distant past where they went with the, I guess the cheapest route they could get for their design. And because it was an inexperienced shop, it ended up taking about eight, nine months longer to just design the project. And even then it probably was not quite where it needed to be. And by the time that it was bid out, I mean, the market just kept climbing and they probably had two or $3 million of increases just from the market. 
and they were looking at maybe a difference of 15,000 in architecture fees up front. And some, you know, like an architecture firm with a little more horsepower and experience probably could have got them to the race a little quicker. And so, so there's a lot to think about, but don't, don't undervalue design, I would say. And, and, and I would say, don't be scared to, to break the mold and, tr you know, use like a pre-construction service, uh, as part of your process too. Um, there's a lot of value that contractors can bring in your project. If you include them up front, some people are a little scared to do that. Cause it's like, well, I want to just get it designed and then I want to bid it and just get the very best price. But if you, if you always go with the lowest contractor though, it, it's similar where, you know, that's where I feel like I've seen issues as well, you know, especially when it's like, okay, you, you've got three or four contractors that bid it and you're like, I like all of these. And then there's one outlier that's the bottom and it's like everybody else was really tight on their number. And then there's the outlier and it's like, don't, don't do that, that you're, you're just setting yourself up for failure there. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I'd say that's probably my first recommendation, honestly, is just good architecture, good design. And, uh, you know, the bigger the job, probably the more experienced the, the team needs to be, the more challenging the project is. Well, one of the things that I would add to that too is like, I mean, I, I hate it when a project goes out to bid and then they're like, oh, the numbers came in too high. And so then it's like, okay, now there's this value engineering exercise. Whereas, and it's like, that's still going to cost you more money because like we've, we've delivered what you've asked for. And I don't actually enjoy doing value engineering. I'd rather do it along the way where it's like now the project feels like it's dragging because you're trying to make all these changes and those changes can be like just, it can really kind of just blow up. Right. And, and so by, by pulling in, uh, pulling in a contractor that you're like, hey, you know what, like, let's get it to a certain point, even if it is a concept phase, let's, let's go ahead and take it to that point. And then bring somebody in that we are like, Hey, let's, let's go ahead and get this value add right now so that we're not doing a value engineering exercise later. So like, even if, even if they decide, Hey, we're going to have to pay this, this fee instead of rolling it into the project later on, I think they're still saving money. <laughs> so that's totally true. I, I was just that, that project example I gave a few minutes ago about, you know, coming down from this, mid $40 million number down into the, you know, where, where it needed to be. Um, that job, I think the first time I looked at the project, I probably had 50 or 60 value engineering or cost saving recommendations. The architecture team and the ownership group and us, we all met together. We discussed all of those options. Some of them, they, they truthfully wanted to hang on to because it was meaningful them for them as an end user. Uh, but a lot of them though, we just, everyone just got behind the ideas and we implemented them and updated the numbers accordingly. And then the next go around, you know, as more design was happening, we would go through the exercise again. We probably did a VE exercise uh, three or four different times, but each one of those was new ideas of things that were kind of taking shape as it went along. But the last time that we went through the drawings, we were down to one or two ideas because ultimately we had solved all those problems during the design and didn't have to redesign the building at the end when we weren't hitting budget. We just did it as we went and we made sure we got to the, the budget. Right. Well, and when the V is happening along the path, it's, it's a lot easier to change the drawings when it, when they're, you know, they're 10%, 20%, you can make really big changes really easily. But when they're at 90% and you start making really big changes, 
that's it's not good for anybody once so. the architects detailed out all the stair riser and tread yeah. details and window and now sill we get to do and them all again. jam details yeah. and then you got to redo them again for yeah. all new that's where it's problematic right so. yeah uh what's one of the biggest changes that you've seen in the industry um over the past few years that you know 10 years or whatever that you feel like has has been good and or bad yeah i think that's a, a good question um I would say I'm going to even stretch that maybe to 15 years, but, uh, there was just a time there. Um, you know, there's always been different, um, delivery methods. I'm going to use that term. It's not really a well-known term, but, um, maybe for a, a lay person or whatever, but in the industry, those are kind of your, your method to procure a project or your method for just throw contracting. Out a of examples. For, yeah. So for example, um, the, the most traditional, uh, process, you know, maybe in the last 30, 40 years is design, bid, build. An owner uh, hires an architect and then they work with the architect kind of uh, in a vacuum, if you will. They design the whole project out um, with no input from any other outside sources. And then when it's done, they send that out to bid to four or five general contractors who would then bid the project. So that's called design, bid, build. Um, for quite some time now, we've been doing a project called design, build, which is a, a kind of a totally different concept, but the owner basically has a concept or a, a, a basis of design or an idea for their building. And they solicit uh, multiple design builders. Now a design build team would usually consist of a general contractor and an, and an architect and other consultants, but they, they would be their own entity and like maybe the general contractor would hire the architect in that case and they would design uh, a cert a project that they think meets the owner's needs and then they would go build it for them so that's design build and what the i'd say one that's become much more common especially in the western united states it's used everywhere is a process called cm at risk or cmgc which it, that delivery method involves more of what we've been discussing in our meeting today, which is the owner hires um, an architect and they also hire a contractor at the same time. And that contractor provides construction management and pre-construction services up front as a team with the architect. And then once you get through the design process, that uh, CMGC would bid that to their subcontractors and go build it. So they're the kind of a manager during pre-construction and then they're the builder during construction. And I would say, you know, in the Western United States, at least, that's probably the biggest shift. I would say 80% of projects or more, probably 90%, even 15 years ago would have been design, bid, build. It's just a whole set of documents. They're completely designed and they just get bid out. Now there is probably a place for that still under certain circumstances, um, it's not all bad. There's some lower upfront costs sometimes, depending on the circumstances, but oftentimes the back end costs can be a lot more because there hasn't been collaboration. So that's probably the biggest shift. Um, that's a long answer to say there's just been a lot more contractor involvement upfront than there ever used to be. And, and most, um, there, there are a lot of contractors that are set up to perform in that way and provide those services. It's not all of them though. <laughs> But, um, you know, our company, for example, that's just what we specialize in I, um, is to provide that kind of upfront service. And it's a big piece of what we do. So 
Awesome. Yeah. It's, that's been kind of an interesting shift because I, I honestly started my career about 15 years ago and that was like, that was the method. And now it, especially maybe it's because we're in, cause I was in California and so it was like, Hey, you're in this big market. And so there was plenty of things to bid out and, you know, there's, I guess there's been some other things that have developed that have maybe created this situation, but you know, back then, 2011, you know, building, you could probably find a builder if you wanted a project in the next couple of weeks, you'd probably be able to find a builder that's like, yeah, I'm ready. And, uh, today and in the last few years, it hasn't, it hasn't really been like that. And it's been, you know, you've got to get on our books. Let's, you know, talk to us, but don't talk to us three weeks before you want to start. You've got to talk to us months and months, maybe even a year out before so that we can get you taken care of in the right way. And, and so that communication piece up front has become more important. And I think with that, maybe then also the value of, oh, well, if I talk to them sooner, then they can actually also assist in these other things that, um, that they really specialize in. So, um, so this is a question that I ask everybody. Um, what is the one piece of advice that you wish that your clients knew before they like, before they started a project, what's the one thing that you would tell somebody that's saying, Hey, I'm, I'm considering purchasing this piece of land for this purpose. It's a little bit of a hard question. It almost would have been my comment about an architect actually, but if I'm thinking of maybe something else that, I, that comes to mind, um, I think maybe being open to adjusting expectations is, would be some feedback I'd give. I, I think that, um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard comments like, well, my brother-in-law is a plumber and he says that number is just way too high or, um, or, you know, I, I'm pretty handy and I know how to, you know, I, I can go get materials at Home Depot and whatever. And I, and I'm not trying to downplay you know, industry and some self-performance. What I'm trying to say is, um, you know, especially on, uh, on challenging, sophisticated projects, you really want good people building your projects. You really want people that really understand it. And I think sometimes it's a little bit shocking for people when they really start getting into it, they're like, Oh, so I'm just talking to the architect for the first time today and it's May and I want to be building by August. And I think, Sometimes you just got to adjust expectations to say, well, if I want to do this the right way, uh, it, sometimes it just takes uh, time it, to get it right. Right. And we need time. You need the proper amount of time to design it and you need some input to make sure that your costs are in check. Um, I think sometimes people just make the mistake of maybe without a lot of homework from the people that would actually build the job, they, they kind of have a preconceived idea of the cost and the schedule and then it's kind of eye-opening. And I think the more experienced our clients are, the more we see them come in with some really realistic expectations of timelines time and, and, and kind of how the process happens. Um, but what, what, what you will see is it's, it's actually, um, it kind of makes you probably more appreciative of, of good architects and good builders that can guide you through the process because it is a significant amount of work. But if it's done well, the client really gets a product that they're happy with and they shouldn't be a lot of surprises because they've been provided this service up front that when they get the finish line, they're like, yeah, this is, this is what I 
was prepped and ready to get. And this is what I wanted. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today and yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. And that wraps up another enlightening episode of Vision Driven. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and gained valuable insights into the world of architecture, development, and construction. And don't forget to leave us a review. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content, and it also helps others discover the podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions for future topics, or if there's a specific guest you'd like us to feature, please reach out to us through our website, resinarchitecture.com or connect with us on social media at Resin Architecture. We value your input and would love to hear from you.